The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Today on Stick to Football, we have real, actual NFL and college football to talk to you about week one, mostly in the books as we sit here Monday morning. Uh, two of us watched our teams lose on Sunday, uh, and Mello, of course, is still just me. trotting around the office at 1-0, bragging. Hey, when you've put as many years into the Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> as I have, I think I've earned these couple years of greatness. Yeah, I, I yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, so we're definitely going to talk. I know uh, we asked for draft on draft questions. So many of you asked questions about Sam Darnold, Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to get to that today. It's Tuesday. That means top five Tuesdays as well as Heisman Watch is back. So we're going to talk some college football and NFL today, guys. And that is where I want to take us first. Sean Wade, a corner from Ohio State, has opted out. Uh, over the weekend, we saw Wyatt Davis also officially opt out. They're very, very talented offensive guards. So two key players from Ohio State deciding to opt out. One nugget I'll throw on this, guys. Something that I've heard from folks at Ohio State. If they get their stuff together and come up with a fall football plan, White Davis and Sean Wade could opt back in. This is basically, hey, if it's a spring season, it, we're not going to be there. But I think that decision has to be made quickly because these guys need to hire agents. They need to start training. So that's a limited time frame for them to make that decision. And we heard over the weekend, people like Pete Thamel reporting that there's there's positive, optimistic moves happening for the Big Ten. But as of now, no football. So these guys are opted out. And I like this decision that both guys have made. I mean, they are opting out, but to the best of my knowledge, they haven't hired agents. So that does give them the opportunity, if the Big Ten gets their crap together, that they can come back and they can play. Because these are two guys who debated whether or not they should enter the 2020 NFL draft. And I think both of them probably could have been first-round picks, but they decide to go back to Ohio State where they wanted to play for a national championship, where Sean Wade probably has aspirations of a Thorpe Award. And I like the decision that they made, but both of the players opting out, but keeping their options open at the same time. Uh, I was talking to a buddy over the weekend. I'm really, I'm surprised we haven't seen this from more Ohio state kids from the Justin Fields, but uh, maybe uh, as we get closer to October and we don't have a big 10 plan, uh, I think we're going to see more and more of those Ohio state guys do the same thing. And I'm a little surprised as well. I think maybe part of it is that, you know, they can stay on campus and, you know, hold out hope that the Big Ten does turn around and say, hey, we could start this earlier than we thought. Now, when you look at Sean Wade specifically, this is kind of similar to my Gregory Rousseau points where love the raw talent, like this player, will not be surprised in the slightest when he hears his name called in round one. 
but did want to see him play on the outside this year it, rather than being a slot corner. So now, do I think he has the talent to transition to do it? Of course he does. And will an NFL team take him uh, knowing that they're going to have to keep developing him to make that move unless they want him to play in the slot? Uh, then, yes, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. I think it's a little bit like Rousseau, though, where it's like, man, I just really wanted one more season of tape to confirm what I already think, and that that's that he's a very, very talented defender. Oh, I, I'm absolutely with you. That's where I was going to go next. With, with Sean it's Wade, we, all, we think about, oh, these Ohio State corners, and like, he's next. You know, last year we saw Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett both go in the first round, and you kind of automatically think, well, Sean Wade's next. And I, I do think on the surface, guy looks like a first-rounder, but he has not been tested explicitly on the outside, going against the bigger receivers. Playing slot corner at Ohio State is still hard to do. Playing nickel is still hard to do, especially when you're facing teams like Michigan that has four first, or not first, excuse me, four NFL talents at wide receiver. It's still a tough job. But I do think with Sean Wade, I wanted to see more. And, and so that is a question. With Wyatt Davis, good. I'm good. I know who he is. He's very, very good. He's either the first or second interior offensive lineman in this class. He's incredibly strong. He's patient. Uh, you plug this guy in, he's going to be good right away. I'm not worried about him. Now, I am a little bit worried about Sean Wade just because, uh, like Connor was saying, we haven't seen it, so it's a lot of projection. And I think that's where with these opt-out guys, you get a little bit worried where we haven't seen it yet. We were expecting it. Good things were coming, but we just hadn't got to that point yet. So there is a little bit of a concern there. Uh, Melo, I have him ranked as the number three corner in this class behind Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan the second. Uh, where do you have him at? Uh, you know, I, I have him at corner three right now. When you look at what Sean Wade is able to do, I actually really like that he's able to play in the nickel. Uh, we look at guys even like a Damon Arnett who – is a guy that went in the first round, despite uh, what we thought. Uh, I think Sean Wade kind of benefits from being able to play in the nickel and showing that he's already established in that position. A lot of NFL teams are going that way. You, you know, we see these guys who are these safety tweeners, uh, even like a Quandre Diggs. We saw him fall in the draft a long time ago because it's like he can't play safety. He can't play outside corner. Now he's very valuable. Same with Tyron Matthew. There are a lot of guys in the NFL who... A couple of years ago, we're kind of positionless, and we didn't know where they were going to play. The NFL said, hell with it. Play these guys at nickel. It's a very valuable spot. And I think that Sean Wade, with his ability to do that, while he also learns how to play on the outside, is going to be valuable to a lot of NFL teams. I mean, we saw the Dolphins just do it this year, right? They had two great starting outside corners, and they go and draft Noah Igbenogany in the first round. So when you look at Sean Wade, you know, it's nice that he has that tape. Uh, playing in the slot, but you look at his size profile and you go, okay, this guy has the length and the height uh, to match up on the outside. We just need to see it. So there's a lot of good things with him. It, it just makes the evaluation a little bit more difficult. And like you hinted at the top of the show, there is the potential that these guys can come back if the Big Ten, you know, puts it all together and says, hey, we're going to start early. And then we might get at least a couple of games of tape. But as for Wyatt Davis, I mean, this is one of, in my opinions, the locks of the draft. Uh, I have him 10th overall when we did our big boards. And I just look at this player and thought he could have went first round last year. And the fact that, you know, you watch the tape, there's really just nothing that is overly concerning and no reason why this guy can't be a Pro Bowl interior offensive lineman in the NFL very early in his career. Yeah, it is. It's going to be it'd be fun to see where he goes. I think I had him 
uh, at like 32 overall to the Chiefs in my first mock draft of the year that dropped. Because, okay. <laughs> yeah, the big needs on the interior offensive line, which uh, if you watch the NFL on Sunday, you saw a lot of teams that have big needs on the interior offensive line. So Wyatt Davis is going to be a commodity. Guys, we actually had a couple NFL contract extensions break over the weekend. I mean, we were seeing players like Demario Davis playing a game and the news breaking that he was getting a contract extension. But the big ones, Alvin Kamara, Cooper Cup, and Dalvin Cook, all three get extensions. Alvin Kamara, a five-year, $75 million contract extension. He goes out and scores, I believe, three touchdowns in his first game. After that, uh, Dalvin Cook gets a five-year uh, almost $63 million extension. And then Cooper Cup, I haven't seen the money come out on this one, guys, but it is a three-year extension. So three key players getting locked up. The There's definitely a crowd in the football, like football Twitter, that's like, don't pay running backs, don't pay running backs, don't pay running backs. We've all said it before, too. Like, ooh, man, uh, rough year to, to be paying a running back, or rough time to pay a running back. And you, you stayed away from it because of guys like Todd Gurley, you know, who uh, gets paid, he breaks down. We have seen this offseason multiple running backs get paid. And I wonder with guys like Kamara and Cook, can they be the exception to the rule or do teams just not learn their lessons? I, I actually like the fact that they extended them. And, and I know that I've even talked about if you draft a running back high, run them for five years and then let them walk. But I think that with the way that at least Kamara plays and a little bit with Cook too, they're not absorbing a lot of big hits. And what Kamara is able to do out of the backfield makes him so valuable too. You almost have to pay him and say, all right, some of this money we're going to say this is for our running back. And the other, we're saying this is for a slot receiver. You can just tell that offense is different when he's on the field. And I know we saw, uh, what is it, Murray get a lot of carries yesterday for the Saints. Yeah. But I really think that what Kamara is able to do in this offense and even playing like wildcat quarterback, he's just a toy for Sean Payton to play with and find ways to get him open. So I do like that, you know, the Vikings and the Saints and the Panthers, that they're extending these guys because they performed very well. And I don't think they're taking a beating like guys like Le'Veon Bell were or like Zeke is. I think they're a little bit of a different breed of running back. And I think the question isn't as simple as Twitter always makes it out to be, where it's like, hey, don't don't pay running backs. And it's like, well, no, if you're sitting in the GM chair, you have a checklist you have to go through. You could sit there and go, well, is this guy also a receiver? Because Christian McCaffrey absolutely is also a wide receiver. Is this somebody that creates his own yards? Derrick Henry absolutely creates his own yards. When you get him to the second level of the field, the guy's a nightmare to tackle. Alvin Kamara also checks the box that he's a receiver. So... When you look at it, it's just not that simple. And I understand there's different dynamics, right? The Jets felt like they were okay to go out and pay Le'Veon Bell because they didn't have anybody on the salary cap and they didn't have a quarterback that was due for a contract extension uh, within the time lapse of Bell's deal. So, And there's a lot of examples like that around the league. I think the Rams thought that when they extended Gurley because they had Jared Goff. Now that one, it didn't work out, but you understand the thought process. So I understand... Paying running backs isn't always a wise long-term investment, but I also think it's ridiculous to go out and say, hey, you can just go replace that guy in the fourth round next year. It's not that simple. The miss rate, it happens, right? And at the same time as well, you know, you have to get a guy up on the system. The Saints are in a one-year win-now window. They could not let this linger with Alvin Kamara. So I think it's a longer conversation than it's been displayed as for a while now. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. The 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 doubters will say these players, especially Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara, they they got new deals 
And they both scored twice. I, I forgot Kamara had one call back. They both scored twice on Sunday, guys, but like their stats actually weren't that good. Like the numbers, just the raw numbers, not that good. And so I do think there will be folks who are like, why do you draft Alexander Madison to re-sign, you know, a Dalvin Cook? Or, you know, like with Green Bay, why do you draft AJ Dillon when you're trying to keep Aaron Jones? And so I do think there are going to be questions like that. But over the course of a 16-game season, uh, I feel pretty good that Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara are going to be gigantic roles in those offenses. I, I, think, I they'll think they'll earn their good. money. I, I don't I think the like Saints it. are going to be looking at it when they're in the Super Bowl or the playoffs and thinking, man, wish we would have let Alvin Kamara hold out. Uh, I think they're going to be okay for the next couple of years. Uh, it's time to talk a little college football. Before we get to our top five Tuesdays, our top five this week is just our takeaways from the opening week of football. And we're going to revisit some of these as well, guys. But some big losses. Power five schools just getting embarrassed. Kansas loses to Coastal Carolina. Iowa State loses to Louisiana. Florida State loses to Georgia Tech. Texas Tech almost loses to Houston Baptist, which I didn't even know that was a college until this weekend. Not some good looks from Power Five schools, um, especially Kansas. Like, you can't lose to Coastal Carolina. Louisiana has some prospects. Georgia Tech is a Power Five school. You cannot lose to Coastal Carolina. I know a lot of people, Mellow, we live in the Midwest. A lot of people are like, oh, Les Miles. He's the answer at Kansas. Can tell you he is not. Yeah. At it, all. This is the second year in a row Kansas has lost to Coastal Carolina. So I know that a lot of people even around here are like, ooh, like you said, Les Miles. Like they won a couple games last year. Thought they were going to turn it around. Kansas is still Kansas. Coastal Carolina has just as many wins in the last two years in the Big 12 as Kansas. Oh That's my God. two wins. Coastal Carolina is 2-0 and against the Big 12. Kansas has lost a shitload of games. So I, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, maybe just don't schedule the Sun Belt anymore. <laughs> and, you know, even for Iowa State, too, like, there, there are some problems there. This team uh, was like a sleeper Big 12 favorite. But then we keep seeing these upsets in early September for Matty Campbell. Uh, but I, what I do love, though, about these upsets is that we have football back and that there were upsets. I, I love watching it. And I'm, I'm not going to lie and pretend that I was watching Coastal Carolina and Kansas. But when you see it on the bottom line of the game you're watching, you're like, oh, holy hell. Kansas is losing again, and and this time Coastal Carolina able to put up some points. It's just exciting. It gets the blood flowing. And Coastal Carolina, like, whooped the shit out of them. Like, it wasn't even like they showed up. It's really unbelievable. And as for Iowa State, that was a game that I think all of us watched because, you know, Brock Purdy is somebody that's been on draft radar quite a bit. Uh, you know, I know there's people out there that like him as QB4. I think this podcast has been pretty vocal we, we feel Kyle Trask is more of the guy in that running who we still haven't you know gotten to watch this year but Iowa State had a lot of reasons for you know to be on everyone's TVs Louisiana bullied them I mean they just ran right through them and absolutely bullied them that is a good Louisiana football team so it, it was while this schedule this slate was was not the best we're gonna see this year and, and not the best opener we're gonna see really any year it was still fun to have college games back on the TV oh absolutely was and as for Brock Purdy he's only a junior so I, I hope he doesn't declare for the 2021 NFL draft this thing stand right now I, I you know I try to withhold judgment on guys until you know you've seen enough of them and and you don't want to have that confirmation bias of, oh, early season, let's overreact. Brock Purdy's not good. 
I mean, he's just not good. Right now, he's not. Yeah, I mean, he's the not. arm strength is is suboptimal. The accuracy's not there. And I know that he was playing without Charlie Kohler. They're, he's probably their best target at, at tight end. Yeah. But, my goodness, it just wasn't there. And it's just missing. And I have to see that on Sunday with my favorite team. I don't want to see it on Saturday with a prospect. Like, you got to hit same. passes, man. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I think the same thing, even Ian Book. Like, for some reason, everybody's searching for that fourth or fifth quarterback in this draft and you're trying to make it happen with guys like Brock Purdy and Ian Book I, I get it they're mobile quarterbacks but they don't have the arm talent like you have to have the arm talent first and then if you have the mobility cool but I just don't see it out of either one of these guys I think they both go down you know for their universities as a great quarterback that you're going to remember like, man, I wish we still had Brock Purdy here in Iowa state, right? But no NFL team is going to be like, Oh, wish we could get our hands on Brock Purdy. Like just, they are what they are. They're good college quarterbacks. And I say that with, you know, Sam Ellinger is the quarterback of my favorite team. Outstanding weekend. Maybe I have to change my mind on him, but I think he's even another guy that's going to be a really good college quarterback that we talk about uh, in the next couple, like 10 years back. Man, when Ellinger was at Texas, he did some special things, but I don't think we're going to be talking about any of those guys as look at what they're doing in the NFL. Now, you might see him on an NFL roster and be like, damn, when he was with the Cyclones, he was pretty special, but he's going to be like a backup quarterback in the NFL at best. Yeah, I think the lesson is, you know, when there's a top tier of quarterbacks, sometimes you don't have to force an extra guy in, right? Like, I remember the year, I think it was Jameis and Mariota, we talked about them all the time. Hey, these guys are going to be the top two picks, they're going to be top five locks. And then Bryce Petty kept coming up in conversations, and it's like, well, no, Bryce Petty is what he is. We might have a similar situation this year where we love the top three guys, and I hope Kyle Trask ends up forcing his way into the conversation, but there's a lot left to see. But like you said, Melo, the Ian Books of the world, the Brock Purdies, yeah, there's a lot of season left. But when you look at the physical ability or the lack thereof in these guys, it it kind of tells you, you know, and I would have liked to see Tanner Morgan this year as well from Minnesota, but it kind of tells you there's a reason these guys are in a different tier. Absolutely. And to close this out before we get to our top five Tuesdays, guys, Army is not afraid to play anyone. Army's athletic director, Mike Buddy, got on Twitter and said, undefeated COVID-negative college football team from New York looking for like-minded, disciplined team for a date next Saturday. Must also be COVID-negative. Twitter, do your thing. I love that he's like putting a personal ad out, but Army undefeated, ranked number 25 in the country. They just want to play ball after BYU had to cancel. I know this won't happen because the short time frame. I wish North Dakota State could like raise their hand. Be like, okay, hey, we'll come in. We'll it's, go. It's probably it. going to be Central Arkansas. They, they appear to always be the team that say, like, hey, we'll, we'll show up. We'll play you. I know they're going to play Missouri State twice this year. So I love it out of Army. Uh, I mean, this is a team that we saw a couple years ago take Oklahoma to the wire. Looked like they were going to upset them. And we've all three said it before. Like We are secretly, not even secretly, we're out in the open about it. We're all rooting for Army. And I, wanted, I want to see them play more games. And I hope they can find a way to fill out the schedule because I love watching their brand of football. They just show up, run the, the flex bone, triple option. I'm here for it, and I want to see more of it. And they have such a competitive defense year in and year out lately where they, they don't care who they're playing against. They really, really don't. And the offense, 
uh, gives the defense a good rest very often. So I think, yeah, when you look at it, this this podcast roots for Army. Uh, I am excited to see. It, it, it does feel like Central Arkansas is the team out there that's like, all right, boys, let's get in the backyard, spray paint the lines, and go. Uh, I don't know if Army's going to find anyone this weekend, this Saturday. That would be extremely, extremely impressive. But I, I do wonder if a tweet like that you know, brings up some calls for the less the rest of the year, and I, I love it. I really do. Yeah, it's definitely a good time. I love the the fighting atmosphere of our Surface Academy. Let's take a break. We come back. It's Top Five Tuesdays. It's Top Five Tuesday time. That's a lot of tease, but I like alliteration. So we're gonna we're just gonna go with it, guys. And first off, it's our takeaways, things that we saw over the weekend. Maybe some overreactions, but that's what makes watching football fun. Or those early season overreactions. I know I have a couple on my list, but I want to start here. Jonathan Adams Jr. Get to know this name, the Arkansas State wide receiver, six foot three, 220 pounds, and he's mossing people at that level of play. 14 catches for 163 yards and three touchdowns. Oh, and he blocks down the field as well. If you haven't had a chance to watch Arkansas State play yet, you are missing out. This is a very, very fun football team to watch. And Jonathan Adams is a huge part of that. He's a senior. And I know our buddy Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl, uh, tweeted on Saturday, hey, we see you. So I think we're going to see this guy in Mobile in January. Yeah, and I mean, you can see the highlights, but those of you that are watching the game know that it was more than just a couple highlight catches. Uh, One of them in the end zone, that one-hander, I think was even called back, but you can see the talent with this kid and what he's able to do. Uh, He definitely put Kansas State and everybody around here on notice, and it caught the eye of Jim Nagy. So hopefully he does get some senior bowl nods. Uh, I think it could be an interesting year because you're looking at these seniors, like who's going to opt into the senior bowl. Uh, They could be struggling to find some guys. It sucks to say, because I know we love it down there, but Jonathan Adams able to get his name and some recognition out there. Love to see it from an Arkansas state program. My big takeaway uh, is that crowd noise is overrated. I remember in March or April, when we were going through this pandemic, all sports was shut down and they started to talk about, Oh, well, we're going to come back, but there's not going to be any fans. And you even had guys like LeBron saying, like, I'm not playing if there aren't any fans. Like, the momentum's not going to be there. Uh, the noise on the court or in the field is just going to be boring. It wasn't. Watching a full slate of NFL games and having good college football to watch, even when there weren't fans in the stands, there was still enough. And uh, pumping in fake crowd noise, I'm here for it. Because there wasn't at any point on Saturday or Sunday where I was like, man, this is a really boring game. It doesn't sound like there's anyone there. Uh, and, I, you know, we have some friends that even went up to the Chiefs game, Matt, and they said the atmosphere, not great in the stadium. It was kind of boring. It was quiet. I didn't experience any of that uh, sitting on, well, your couch watching games all weekend. Uh, I thought it was a great product, and I'm so happy that football's back. I was almost surprised at at what point where I was like, because the football camera is so fixated on the field, and it was never like, wow. Like, when baseball came back, it took me a couple games because the whole behind the home plate angle and home runs where I was like, man, I'm glad baseball's back, but I do miss the stadium like energy with football and maybe players and coaches feel different because they're there. I just it never even crossed my mind yesterday at all. So maybe it's just a football broadcast thing. I don't know, but I, I fully agree with that. Uh, my first takeaway here on our takeaway Tuesdays. The Green Bay Packers are tired of being disrespected, and I like that they just 
put all their play on the field. They never complained. They had they have probably the best pass rush duo in football or had it in 2019 with the Smiths. And you never really saw either of those guys get bothered by it in the offseason. They draft Jordan Love, and Aaron Rodgers has been about as professional as you could be about it. And it looks like, uh, I don't know if he's just healthy or he just took his training to a different level this year. Aaron Rodgers looks like the best quarterback in football again through one week. Now, obviously, I think Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson are going to be those guys this year. But if Aaron Rodgers keeps that up, it was just fun to watch. And Matt LaFleur is somebody that when he was hired, I kind of raised an eyebrow and said, man, you're the Green Bay Packers. Like, you could do better than this. So far, he has absolutely proven that wrong. He he coaches a good game. That staff has them ready to go. You go to Minnesota, and I felt like they controlled a lot of this game. Good for the Green Bay Packers, man. Like, I'll be the first one to say, didn't understand their draft strategy, but this roster on paper right now, the way they're coached, the way they're led by their quarterback, a legendary quarterback, they are a force to be reckoned with, and if all those wins last year weren't enough for you to take it serious. It's time to start taking them very serious. Like I said, we're going to overreact some to week one. I will be the first to admit I was wrong about the Vikings. Or like through one week was wrong about the Vikings. I thought that they would win this division. I really thought they would give Green Bay a lot more problems up front than they did. Ellen Jenkins did a great job playing right tackle. And I tweeted this out the other day, I think, or I said it to Melo and, and Austin. It was like, Aaron Rodgers looks like an MVP again. Like the way he's playing, the the shots that they were taking down the field, like where was that last year? And this was a thirteen and three team. It felt like they never did that last year. The way they were using Aaron Jones, splitting him out at receiver, throwing the ball, like that was a fun game to watch. And I hope that that's the Aaron Rodgers we see all year. Football is better when Aaron Rodgers is good, and not good, but great. So that's what I hope we get all year long. Number two for me. Speaking of quarterbacks who might be great, Gardner Minshew guys threw one incomplete pass yesterday. And led the Jacksonville Jaguars to, I believe, a surprise victory over the Indianapolis Colts. I do not think the Colts are that good. I know a lot of people got upset when I said that in the preseason. Uh, But, man, Gardner Minshew absolutely looked the part uh, taking this team to a victory. And with an offensive skill group that I don't think anyone is going to call great, but seeing guys like DJ Chark make plays, watching them get you know, uh, Josh Robinson going in the backfield like this was a or James Robinson, excuse me. It was a really fun game to watch. And I know like we've joked about Gardner Minshew, like the jorts and the mustache. And it's like, but it might be time to take this guy seriously. 19 of 20 for three touchdowns yesterday might be time to take him seriously. And with Minshew, like I've been slow to come around on him too, because I think he's a little more hype than he has been product. I, I with the jorts and the headband and the mustache and everything, but he's getting the job done on the field. So he put me on notice. I'm not going to overreact to week one with Minshew. But, you know, a lot of Jaguar fans and Gardner Minshew fans have been like, maybe they're not tanking for a quarterback. Maybe they are tanking, but maybe Minshew is the answer there in Jacksonville. If he can continue to play like this, there's no reason to replace him. Uh, and I think they're going to make he's going to make that decision very difficult for that Jaguars front office if he continues to play this way. Matt, you're talking about a young quarterback. I want to talk about some of the old quarterbacks. Tom Brady, uh, he didn't look terrible yesterday, but he looked old. He was getting hit, and when he got hit, it was hard for my man to get up off the turf. The arm strength looked like it was lacking a little bit. 
I do think that we're seeing time finally catch up with Tom. Going into the new offense, being hit like he was, the, the frustration level felt very circa 2019 Patriots. Like, what is going on here? Uh, but for him, I think this was more on him. Finding that timing with these receivers, getting acclimated to the new offense, I took Tom Brady very high in a lot of fantasy drafts. After week one, kind of takeaways over reactions, I'm nervous uh, because I really thought this guy was going to have an amazing season with all those weapons that he has in Tampa Bay. But my man looked old yesterday. Well, even with that, Melo, don't be nervous because they're just going to throw the shit out of the ball, whether they're winning right. or losing. So it go. might not lead to <laughs> wins. Yeah, I, go ahead, Matt. I do feel like we've heard this before about Tom Brady. So I just want to say officially – I'm skeptical. Like, I think this is just a timing thing. I think it's a new offense. Yeah. It's a new scheme for the first time ever. I think by like week five, we're going to be like, it's like the year they started poorly and lost in Kansas City. And people were like, they're done. They're done. I know there's no Bill Belichick this year. So it is a little different. But I just want to officially say, and it's probably because I'm a Tom Brady homer. Like, I'm not writing him off yet. I'm not writing well, this him off. What take away Tuesdays are for? We just <laughs> right. get, he just said he's old. All the rundown says is Tom Brady Tom Brady's is old. old. Yeah, yeah. that's true. He is old. Yeah. I'm not that. writing him off, but he is definitely old. And just watching him take those hits, it was a little rough. Like you, I feel his body this morning being like, "Oh, what are you going through, Tommy? Have yourself some avocado ice cream and get through this Tuesday." I mean, listen, top five Tuesdays are going to be for some overreactions, and and that's what makes it fun. This one for me, number two, is not an overreaction because. I've seen it for a couple of years now. I just want to put it out to the world. Travis Etienne is a special player at the running back position. He is not a, hey, let's get this guy in round three because he's fast. He's not a, hey, let's maybe we can get this guy at the end of round two and he could be our third down back. This is a, and I know people shouldn't take running backs in round one, although that guy Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looked pretty good on Thursday night. This is a round one running back. This is a 4-3 player with home run speed that catches the ball, has a different gear than everyone else on the field. I mean, the only thing we were waiting for him to improve on last year was his ability to catch, and that's it seems like something that's turned to a strength recently. ETN is somebody that if he finds his way into like an outside zone scheme that gives him space, he's going to be a 1,400-1,500 yard rusher. For a couple of years while also being a threat in the pass game. I just I like Najee Harris. I like Chuba Hubbard. Uh, you know, I like Journey Brown, although we don't get to see him this year. I'm curious to see what those guys show this year. But I know what Travis Etienne is, and he is a very special prospect in my eyes with Etienne. He's one of those guys. I wish we could dictate where he goes. Because if he could go to the right spot, I think he could be really, really good and really, really fun. And then you worry that like someone will draft him to be a change of pace back, you know, or um, they just won't use him right. But I, I am absolutely in love with his speed. I, I do just wish we could get him to the right spot. And we actually saw like a lot of impact from rookie backs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the only player in the NFL as we sit here Monday morning, to have rushed for 100 yards. Uh, DeAndre Swift, uh, the drop pass, that one hurt. That, that's going to hurt how well he bounces back from that's going to be important. But like we saw J.K. Dobbins getting involved. We saw Cam Akers getting involved. Like these, Jonathan Taylor Jonathan came in Taylor, and took over. Absolutely. So like we Feel bad for Marlon Mack, by the way, who we, we he stopped by our table at the Super Bowl and is definitely one of the nicest players we've ever had on the show. So I just want to give him a uh, get healthy wish yep. after that tough injury. Especially in a contract year. Like that, it's brutal. That did stuff. I, yeah, I should have looked this up. But did I see that they fear it's an Achilles? Yep. 
Yes. It's a terrible situation. For yep, him. really is. That's, yeah, it, it truly is. On to number three for me, and we're going to have to talk about this one, guys. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is still not good. And Kyle Shanahan even said it after the game last night, Jimmy has to be better. And a lot of 49er fans, of which I am one, like to get on me about this. Like, you're not a real fan. Uh, you're, you're just a pessimist. You're a Chiefs fan. Mello was there with me when the Niners and Chiefs played in Miami. I could guarantee you I'm still a 49ers fan. And even yesterday, like, yes, I'm an analyst and I have to separate the two. But, like, I was upset when that game ended. Garoppolo's just not it, guys. He's not. And I, he's not the worst quarterback in the NFL. He's just good enough to make you competitive to where you can't draft a replacement. And the contract situation is also to where you really can't get rid of him. You're kind of stuck with Jimmy Garoppolo. Even without Debo, Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk, I do think they would have made a difference. He's still just overthrowing so many people. Pass to George Kittle. High. Kittle gets rocked and comes down bad on his ankle. Passes to Kendrick Bourne. Trent Taylor. Everyone, just the overthrows are absolutely abysmal. And I keep hearing this bullshit that, oh, year two with Kyle Shanahan. Y'all, it ain't year two. It's like year four at this point. This is not the Matt Ryan bump from Kyle Shanahan. Maybe that was more Matt Ryan than we all want to admit. Kyle Shanahan's a run game guy, not a pass game. He's not a quarterback guru. He's a run game guru. As a 49ers fan, I picked the Cardinals to beat them. And a lot of people just, oh, you're just trying to be negative. No, I do not think this team is as good as the press clippings would have you believe. I think that showed up on Sunday. They cannot win with Garoppolo playing like he did. I agree with you. And I know that you get a lot of hate for your Jimmy G takes. And I haven't watched as many 49ers games as you have, clearly. Uh, But watching that game yesterday, there were so many drives that could have been extended had he made an accurate throw. I mean, it's not even like he's missing by a little bit. It's like, just put the ball on the outside shoulder of Trent Taylor, and you convert like a third down. I don't remember the exact scenario, but just the little inaccuracies are are hurting this team. And I know that defense is lights out, but I wonder how, how much can this defense bail that offense out? And I know that he's missing receivers, like you said, but those receivers aren't going to make those balls more accurate. I mean, they might be a little more open, but you know, we saw it even back in the Super Bowl. You have a wide-open receiver, and you're not able to hit it. And the frustration, you could tell he was really feeling it yesterday. Uh, he knew that you know he needed to play better. The coach is saying he has to play better. Uh, I think it's time for maybe that 49ers fan base to realize, and for every fan base, you don't have to say that everything on your team is gold. It's okay to be like, man, we really need to improve here. Our quarterback didn't play well yesterday, and that's okay. Uh, but with Jimmy Garoppolo, it did not look good on Sunday. And if they're going to be that Super Bowl team and try to repeat and get back there, they're going to need better play from their quarterback. And you're up again. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Third takeaway for me, uh, going back to the world of college football, Uh, Matt Campbell has been a very hot coach in the NFL rumor mill, in the college football rumor mill. Is he going to leave Iowa State? But I think it's time to talk about how he coaches in September because Matt Campbell's record in September the last three years is five and eight uh, at a program that is pretty damn good. And when you're playing in September, you're not playing the best schedule. I know that we're going to get into some early conference play, but for him to be 5-8 and eight and losing to teams like Louisiana, this team didn't look ready to play on Saturday. They looked like there was a lot of mental mistakes. Uh, the offense was very vanilla. I don't know if there was a thought process that we can just come out here and roll right over these guys. 
That was not the case at all. And I think a lot of that responsibility goes back on the coaching staff. So a big takeaway for me is like just looking at Matt Campbell in September, a guy that, like I said, a lot of people want him to be that head coach. I don't know if it's it. Like, congratulations on building the program, but I'm really questioning the Matt Campbell hype today. Yeah, I think you have to. And this has been one of my favorite coaches in college football for quite some time because of how he got this program from, you know, the dumpster. And I won't say to the top, but they were out there competing. I mean, let's not forget the the, the worst game I watched in college of Patrick Mahomes was against this Iowa State defense. So you have to wonder, I think this is the point you're basically trying to bring up, Melo. Like, have, has he peaked, right? Like, is he a guy that is just has turned around the program but maybe can't put them on the national stage. And that happens sometimes when you're at a program that, you know, does have a certain ceiling like Iowa State. But I agree, it's it's definitely a little bit disappointing. Uh, my third point here is that Lamar Jackson might be getting even better than he was. I think what we saw yesterday, now I have to say, you know, I don't fall into the hype trap that is in the that is the Browns, but I expected them to be competitive week one. I didn't think they would, you know, win. I didn't even think they would cover, but I thought they would be competitive. For Lamar Jackson, it's starting to look easy out there. It's starting to look like seven on seven where, you know, and it's sure it's a great line, a great coach in Greg Roman that calls up the plays. But for Lamar Jackson, it's like no one can touch him. He doesn't need to run anymore to win. He runs, you know, here and there, but he's just throwing with ease, efficiency, great accuracy. I just look at Lamar Jackson and go, okay, this isn't like after an RG three had injuries, which was the big contributing factor. But with Lamar Jackson, this is not somebody that had his MVP year. And it's like, okay, now we know how to stop him. He's just adjusting to everything thrown at him. And maybe this is a week one overreaction, but I I think Lamar Jackson is uh, an elite quarterback in the NFL, probably going to finish as a top three or four quarterback in the NFL this year. And we'll be right in the middle of the MVP conversation again. So on a day where Baker Mayfield was not good again, Sam Darnold was awful. Josh Rosen sat in the stands in sweats and Josh Allen had a good game. uh, No doubt about that. Lamar Jackson, that five quarterback class, he is far and away the guy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. close. No, it's not. And like you said, Josh Allen had a good game. Those two fumbles, uh, had they been no offense, playing someone else probably would have no, really, it. really hurt you them. You can't do that right. against good teams. Like the Jets are, the Jets looked like the worst team in football yesterday and lost by 10 points. Yeah. Like the bit, you can't, Josh Allen looked good throwing, but you just, you got to take care of the ball against the Patriots, against the Chiefs, against the Ravens. So that that's why I just think Lamar is in his own world in that class. Yeah, he absolutely is. Point number four for me, guys. Dallas really needs to pay Dak Prescott. Watching him take shots last night from an incredibly physical Los Angeles Rams team. I did not expect that, by the way. And watching the shots that he took, the way that he was playing, I mean, I'm just stuck with. And I know people on Twitter were like, he's making $30 million. Let's not cry for him. But he's he could be making $300 million. Hey, look at, no, he's not Mahomes, but look at some of the other quarterback deals. Look at the guy in Jared Goff who's on the other side of the field who has that long-term financial security. We were just talking about Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack gets hurt in a contract year, and we don't know, like, that's going to affect his ability to, to earn money. And with Dak Prescott, when you're a quarterback and you're this good at the quarterback position, it's, it's frankly kind of bullshit that the Dallas Cowboys have strung him out as long as they have. 
Dak is this team, and I know they struggled on third down last night. I don't, I don't feel like that was Dak. I think the receivers really struggled to get separation against physical corner play. And his offensive line without Lyle Collins really, really struggled. They're going to have to figure something out You're upset on the offensive this. line. <laughs> yeah, really, I'm choked up about it. Poor Dak. Uh, they're going to figure something out on that offensive line. It's just they're struggling up front. And the Rams, credit to them, they came out and played a brand of football that I did not think they could play. Like, maybe it's just because like it's us, oh, L.A., they're soft. They came out, and they, they were fucking fired up. And Aaron Donald, uh, thank you ESPN for pissing Aaron Donald off by saying he can't stop the run because he might be the MVP this year. Uh, he, Aaron Donald was literally taking on like triple teams. I, I think at one point I saw him push the guard into the center. I, I mean, we see this with like offensive linemen before. I know that there's a high school around here. One of their big strategies is we're going to take the defensive tackle and we're going to push him into the linebacker. Aaron Donald was doing that on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, just wrecking people. He looked unblockable. But for the Cowboys, and to your point, I do agree. Like, why are you still stringing this guy along? He's shown that he's not uh, going to be easily replaced. And it's hard to find a quarterback. For crying out loud, Jerry Jones wanted to put Paxton Lynch in this offense. Just pay Dak Prescott because he's your best chance over the next five to ten years to get this team to a Super Bowl, I believe. Uh, but, you know, speaking of upsets, my fourth takeaway, don't schedule the Sun Belt. <laughs> the Fun Belt, just coming out on Saturday, belt, man. Did you say Fun Belt? I said Fun Belt. <laughs> this is a very underrated conference. I know that a lot of people have been looking at teams and, like, Conference USA. They've been looking at Mac and saying, like, oh, we get our Maction back. Well, you're sleeping on the Sun Belt because this is a very good football conference. And outside of the Power Five, I think the Sun Belt is probably not on the level as the American Conference, but they're close. You know, with the teams that they have and App State being able to play there, Louisiana, there are some really good sleeper programs that are being built. And we're probably going to see these coaches move on and get some big-time jobs, but there are some damn good teams in the fun belt, and they're showing at least the Big 12 that, hey, you better recognize what we're doing over here. I love it. Listen, the fun belt, it's uh, it's going to be a staple on the show. All right, number four, I'm going back to the NFL here, and then number five, I'll finish with some college football after the, after the guys go. But number four for me, because it matters a lot to this show, I did not want to talk about the New York Jets today on stick to football and I know it gets people get mad mad when we talk about the Chiefs the Niners uh the Jets the bottom line is the Chiefs are going to be so good this year that we have to talk about them the Niners I, I don't know we'll see where that goes the Jets are going to be so bad that we have to talk about them they might be bad enough where quarterback becomes a combo and I'm not sitting here and going Sam Darnold you know is done, I'm over it, anything like that. I'm saying that, assumingly, the Jets are going to fire Adam Gase by the end of this year. And they might be picking top three where a new coach comes in and quarterback is in the conversation. And that means Trevor Lawrence, that means Trey Lance, that means Justin Fields, one of the three. My takeaway was that in week one, while the Jacksonville Jaguars won, the football team won, the Jets did not even look competitive for a quarter of football yesterday. And as bad as Adam Gase is, Sam Darnold was was awful. And I know he's had ups and downs, but I, I did not want to have this conversation week one. And like I said, this is top five Tuesdays, overreaction takeaways. I, I really, and I don't know if you guys agree, I could see a, 
us in November saying, all right, mock draft whatever day, the Jets take this quarterback. It sucks it's come to that, but it wouldn't shock me. So I think like it's not just – and I'll be honest, I did not watch much of the Jets game yesterday at all. We you know, had the, the Packers-Vikings game on in the morning because that's kind didn't of the marquee game. Um, and then had red zone on. So, you know, try to get a, a feel for the league, watching a little bit of everything. I look at Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and and really see it the same way of, man, this is a, a pivotal year. And not just because it's year three, but, you know, you got to make a decision on a fifth year contract. Or if you're picking up that extension, you got you to decide on that shit after this year. And with the way they've played, they, they don't deserve it. And I think we can make excuses for both of them that are valid, you know, of, Baker's got another new coach, another new offensive coordinator, but he has a hell of a lot of talent around him. And with Sam Darnold, we can say the same thing. Adam Gase is terrible. He is, absolutely. Oh, he doesn't have a lot of talent around him. I watched Gardner Minshew go 19-20 yesterday for three touchdowns. And, like, you can't tell me that, that, like, DJ Chark, yes, he would be the Jets' best receiver. Absolutely. The rest of that team, they're not that much better than the New York Jets. They're just playing better. They're more inspired. They're more energetic. Anytime I watch the Jets, that's what I, it's just, it feels boring watching them play. And like, there's no fire. And even like yesterday, Marcus May has a great day. It gets lost in the fact that his team loses again. The offense struggles again. So I do think with Cleveland and with New York Jets, we could be looking at teams that, and it's not just going to take a, oh, we hired Cliff Kingsbury. He wants Kyler Murray. It could just be, you know what? This guy's not getting it done. We got to talk about replacing him. And uh, I didn't. I haven't had a chance to watch the tape yet on Washington and Dwayne Haskins. That's another situation. You know, Chicago and Mitch Trubisky, even though he led that comeback, and thankfully DeAndre Swift, thankfully for them, dropped the pass. But we got four, at least four quarterbacks who were early first-round picks that are really under the microscope this year because their teams are probably going to be bad enough that they have to think about taking a, a Justin Fields, a Trevor Lawrence, or a Trey Lance. And that's kind of what I've been talking about, too, with Baker Mayfield. And I know that I'm the Baker hater, but I can sit my biased side for a second. This is a make-or-break year for him and, and how he plays in year three. I know that you can look at the head coach situation and say, man, he hasn't really had a stable thing going on, but I – the situation in Cleveland is better than the one in New York with the Jets and what they have. I mean, you have two Pro Bowl caliber receivers. I don't know if there's a more athletic receiver out there than Odell Beckham. You have two really good running backs. You've upgraded the run game, and you can only score six points against the Ravens. I know the Ravens' defense is great, but you have to have more from the quarterback position. And, you know, with Sam Darnold, I do think that he's had a disappointing two years. But I think Connor's right. If, if we see another disappointing year, at some point you have to stop making excuses for these guys and say, man, you've, you've got to produce at the level. We have to have you uh, throwing our receivers open. I know we don't have a lot of talent here, but you've got to do something here. You're the quarterback. You're the CEO. You're the face of the franchise. And if these guys can't get it done in year three, I do think we're going to look at a situation where they are not getting their fifth-year option picked up, and both of these teams are probably going to be in the quarterback com conversation if they don't start playing well immediately. I'm with you all the way. I mean, it's – listen, a lot of people will be upset by that. They go, it's one game, his weapons are terrible, the interior of the line might be bad. You know, I need to go back and watch all the Browns game, the coaches film, to see how that line played. I know they've been revamped, but I know there's weapons there. It's crazy that we're having this conversation, but we saw Arizona do it with Josh Rosen. And I think for the Jets and the Browns, at the end of this year, it's crunch time, right? It's like, it's nut cutting time. Honestly, it is. is what it is. <laughs> and I don't think the Browns will be bad enough where it's a conversation. 
But you just you don't get quarterback classes with Trevor Lawrence every year or Trey Lance, who we really like. And and we're gonna hopefully get to see Justin Fields at some point and see him, you know, continue to be great. It's just and with a new coach, there's so many factors involved. The rookie pay scale, like you said, Matt, the contract decision. Uh, it's a real conversation on this show, and it it is starting today, and it's gonna be under the microscope the entire year. Oh, absolutely, absolutely will be. And like for Arizona. It worked. Like, they took a lot of heat for that. It did. It worked. Kyler had uh, 320 total yards of offense yesterday. He had 100 yards rushing, but then they were able to kneel to end the game, and he dropped back to, like, 91. Like, he was their offense yesterday, which takes me to point number five. So was this guy. DeAndre Hopkins went absolutely off yesterday. 14 catches, 151 yards. Was amazing for them. And, oh, my God, Houston misses this guy. Deshaun Watson... I love you so much. I don't know why you signed an extension with Houston because like this is what they're doing to you. And you get to watch Nuke who tweets last night. Is that what y'all wanted to see? Yes, it is. We just wanted to watch someone feed you the ball. He still got it. And Arizona just carved up one of the best defenses in the NFL yesterday. Yeah, hand up. I thought that Arizona would spread the ball out. I know that like Kyler came out. But and- so did I. I did too. <laughs> like, yeah. It said that, we, man, we might have three receivers catch for 1,000 yards you might have one receiver catch for 2,000 yards. Like, if this is what we're going to see every week from DeAndre Hopkins, dude was targeted 16 times and was able to catch 14 of those. I've been a little stubborn to put DeAndre Hopkins, like, in the top tier with Julio Jones and even Michael Thomas. Uh, Yeah, hand up. I was wrong on that one because this dude came out and played very well, and I hope that we do see more of this. I think that this Arizona team is a team that we've all three said could be a real sleeper, uh, I think we all need to wake up because if you're beating the 49ers, Matt, kudos to you. You picked this upset. Uh, I think this could be a very exciting division and the Arizona Cardinals might not finish last in it. Uh, and one, one big takeaway, my last one, number five, is the rookie running backs in the NFL, uh, not just Clyde edwards Elaire, who went off for like 130 yards, but to see all these guys get involved uh, with their teams. Uh, J.K. Dobbins even coming in and getting early touches. I was really curious to see what would happen with these rookie running backs. You know, we talked about, or at least uh, the Chiefs have been talking about how pro-ready Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is. But then it was also Jonathan Taylor. It was J.K. Dobbins. It was Cam Akers. You know, there's just an endless list almost of these rookie running backs in a very weird offseason where I didn't know if they were going to come in and be able to play early. I think that when we look at towards the end of the season, we're going to see like five or six rookie running backs who are the number one running back on their team. Uh, it's exciting to have that young talent. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of people on Twitter that says don't pay running backs, don't draft them in the first round. But they all look pretty damn good on Sunday. Yeah, I'm with you as well. It's one of those things where you can get instant impact out of that position. And I think that, um, you know, it, we see it year after year at this point. We really, really do. And, and speaking of running backs – uh, that you know, get drafted and make an instant impact. Louisiana might have two that get drafted next year in Elijah Mitchell and Trey Ragas. Uh, these two guys, sure, they didn't each have 100 yards. You know, they combined to have a really good day. They just wear you out. And, and when you look at Mitchell, he's someone that just ran through people on Iowa State. And each of these players have 1,000-yard seasons, you know, over the last couple of years. So they have experience. There is some tread on the tires there. It's fun to watch a smaller program or a lesser 
uh, publicized program have two noteworthy. Honestly, it'll be interesting. The Senior Bowl this year could have teammates at the same position in the backfield. And I was excited to watch these guys not only play a pretty tough brand of football against Iowa State, but to help their team come out with the upset. Yeah, I'm big fans. And also, their quarterback, Levi Lewis, uh, not like an early-round prospect. He's little, but he's definitely someone to keep an eye on. They are a blast to watch, so look for the Raging Cajuns. And uh, head coach Billy Napier, he is going to be on some lists for next year. Guarantee it. Let's take a break. We come back. We're going to talk more college football with our Heisman watch for week one. I don't know if anyone else forgot, but oh yeah, the Heisman Trophy will be awarded. I even heard uh, someone on ESPN, they were like, oh, this guy's going to be in New York in you know mid-December. Like, I don't know, Willie? Like, it might be a Zoom meeting. We'll see what happens. But uh, there is still a Heisman Trophy being awarded. That means, guys, we have to talk about it. I'm going to start at number five, Connor's Man Crush, Travis Etienne on my list. I know the stats weren't amazing. They didn't need to be because they just absolutely smacked people around in week one. But Travis Etienne, what he brings as a runner, the big plays are going to be there, even in an ACC schedule. Sorry, Wake Forest. Travis Etienne is still very, very good. It, I'm going to start with uh, some people that aren't on the list. I left Travis Etienne off uh, because I know that you guys both wanted to talk about him probably. But for me, one of these Alabama receivers that we haven't seen play yet, I think he's going to have a very good chance to be involved with the Heisman talk. Uh I don't know which one's going to emerge as the number one, but early week one, when I'm looking at who might be in that Heisman conversation, one of those Alabama receivers, I would probably bet on Jalen Waddell if he's still doing punt returns as well. Uh, You know how Heisman voters love it. Now, Desmond Howard was able to do it. I think Jalen Waddell can be another guy uh, striking the pose in the end zone, maybe against an LSU team when he takes one to the house, but he's also going to add some numbers as a receiver. And one of the most important things, I think, with Heisman voting, you got to be on a top team, and Alabama's going to be up there. Yeah, so <laughs> I did number five with the exact opposite thought, Mello. I know this player is not on a top team, has no chance at a Heisman, but I just wanted to talk about him. So he gets the number five spot today, and that is Bailey Zappi, the quarterback of Houston Baptist, which if you heard Matt earlier in the show, he goes, I didn't know Houston Baptist was a team until this weekend. And to be honest with you, I, I don't blame you at all. But let's give this guy some love because in two games two losses he has seven touchdowns no picks and over a thousand yards and they took texas tech down to the wire this weekend they lost by two points at texas tech can you imagine if texas tech lost to houston baptist so bailey zappy the quarterback of houston baptist doing a great job uh huge performances in both games He's getting outside of the pocket. He's throwing the ball down the field. And, man, the numbers are eye-popping. Good for him. Even in the two losses, he's probably cost people a lot of money thinking that his team would get run over. And teams are are not covering those spreads against Houston Baptist. So look out. Number four, I got to go to the Golden Domers. Kyron Williams running back Notre Dame. Uh, They are 1-0. They are going to be a top team. Like you said, Melo, this award's going to a top team. And it's kind of a three-man race, it feels like, at this point. But for now, I got to get Kyron Williams in here. 112 yards, two touchdowns. But he also caught two balls for 93 yards. Notre Dame has three very good running backs. They go deep at this position. But I think we see this sophomore really become a huge part of this offense. And losing Cole Komet, losing uh, Chase Claypool, we saw them you know, start to target other people. I think Kyron Williams, number 23, becomes a big part of that passing game for Ian Book as well. 
Yeah, I, I was very impressed with what he was able to do. Uh, running back I want to talk about is Chuba Hubbard, though. Again, I didn't get to see him play against Tulsa. They're going to have to reschedule that game. But with some Big 12 action starting up, this guy that rushed for 2,000 yards last year. And I think that uh, he was a little overshadowed by guys like Jonathan Taylor who were coming in. We all knew who he was. We were wondering, is he going to get to that 6,000 career rushing yards? Chuba Hubbard was a little slept on. He's not this year. And I do think that they plan on using him in a very similar fashion this year. He might not get 2,000 yards with the shortened season, but I do think this is a guy who's going to be very involved in the running game, obviously, but he can catch the ball out of the backfield so well. What he does with his speed, what he does with his hands. This is another guy in this running back class that could be flirting with first round. Uh, he probably finds himself in the second because we do have two other really good running backs as well. But Chuba Hubbard, when he starts playing, uh, I know we're not talking about him yet as a Heisman guy, but he's got to be up there. I'm with you on that one. I think Hubbard, you know, when we get to see them play, we'll remind everyone why he could be the best player in college football or at least one of the most exciting players in college football. Number four for me, we're bringing it back. Hashtag defense for Heisman. Had to find somebody to get into this conversation and did not have to look too hard. I know Florida State fans are probably not too happy after how this weekend ended, but you have to love what you saw from Asante Samuel Jr., who now has two interceptions. So this was the most obvious candidate for defense for Heisman. Uh, besides Andre Sisco, he looks like one of the best playmakers out of the defensive backs in the country. So a really, really exciting weekend for him. Uh, like father, like son. Man, he just reads quarterbacks and takes away the ball. Yeah, he's a good player, and it's fun watching guys. Like we saw Antoine Winfield Jr. last year. Now we got Patrick Sertan the second. We get Asante Samuel Jr. Like this, just I feel old, but it's also kind of cool to see the second generation. All right, at number three, and like I said, I feel like it's a three man race right now. This might change as we get more people involved, but number three, Spencer Rattler, quarterback, Oklahoma, lived up to the hype in beating the shit out of the Missouri State Bears. They won forty eight nothing. It was over at halftime, which is uh, the amount of time he played. But he went 14 of 17 for 290 yards and four touchdowns, guys. Uh, 14 completions, four touchdowns. Not a bad day. Only reason Spencer Rattler's number three on my list, I don't know if he's going to play enough to get the stats that he needs because Oklahoma is going to just... Maybe Texas has a shot. The way this offense looked... They, they're not losing anything. There's not a step back. And I don't know how Lincoln Riley continues to do it, just find a short quarterback, plug them in. They're going to be really good. Yeah, and uh, Spencer Rattler is a guy that I'm definitely going to talk about later. Uh, not right now. I'm going with Trevor Lawrence as the number three guy. I know that he is the top-rated like quarterback. You, you think he might go number one overall. But as far as the Heisman goes, I actually don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to put up the numbers that he needs. I know that he had a great game. Uh, I'm not trying to talk shit on him. And he went 22 of 28, threw for 351 yards, threw for one touchdown, rushed for another two. I just wonder how much he's going to be able to play. Uh, I think that a guy like Spencer Rattler is going to be able to come in and put up big numbers. Trevor Lawrence, I, he might have the advantage of that name recognition and the hair, and they might just kind of say, okay, we know you're leaving for the draft after this year. We're going to vote for you. I do agree with you. I think it's a three-man race, but right now I have Trevor Lawrence number three. And number three for me is your guys' favorite quarterback, Sam Ellinger. Have yourself a weekend. 426 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. UTEP might be bad, but Texas did a great job taking advantage of that and looked Nearly flawless in this one for Ellinger, 25-33. 
he is a fun college quarterback. He's tough. He can obviously run. Uh, the arm has looked, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong here, the arm looks a little better each year. You know, I think the first time I watched Sam Ellinger a couple years ago, it's like, okay, a very limited player at the position. I think he's taken some big steps forward. So coming out of the gate, firing in this one was fun to see. Yeah, uh, Ellinger is. I mean, it's just, and that's why I have number two. Ellinger's fun, and the offense seems that they replaced almost everyone other than Stan Drayton, the running backs coach, this offseason. It looks a little more open and loose, and I don't know if that's just because it was UTEP. Tom Herman has a tendency to overthink things at times, and so I don't know if we're going to see that. They play Texas Tech this weekend. Given how much Tech struggled with Houston Baptist, we might see Ellinger throw another five touchdowns. I do think that he has a chance to put up the numbers to be in the Heisman race, and long he's been considered to be, this is one of the best quarterbacks in college, not one of the best prospects, but one of the best quarterbacks in college. I want to see how much he gets involved in the ground game, because I do think that's an area where he might be able to make up ground on a Spencer Rattler, on Trevor Lawrence, who did have two rushing touchdowns this opening weekend, but five touchdowns, 426 yards, Ellinger at least ends week one leading the country in touchdown passes. I think that's good enough to keep his name in this list. And I have him as number two as well. And I do obviously really like Sam Ellinger, especially as a college quarterback. I think that he's going to have his name uh, in that quarterback room with the Vince Young, with the Colt McCoy, and Chris Sims. I, there's been some really good ones come through Texas. Sam Ellinger is another one. And I'm petitioning for him to come back for a fifth year. I don't know if it's going to work, but with the NCAA rules, I really hope so. But this is the number two Heisman guy on my board. Now, what he was able to do, like Connor said, yes, UTEP, bad football. But when you're still going for 426 yards and five touchdowns, that's hard to do against air uh, when you're throwing that accurate <laughs> 25 of 33. I'm very excited for this offense, and I'll agree with Matt, too. I want to see what he does in the, the run game because as a freshman, that's what this guy came in and did. I used to call him the Texas Tebow. Uh, but now maybe we're starting to see him develop a little bit more as a passer and one knock on Texas has been they don't develop guys. But you guys are right. Sam Ellinger, you can see a little progress each year where it's like, okay, he's getting better at this. Maybe it's not just the Colin Johnson type receivers that he's throwing to. Maybe it is Ellinger. So he's number two on my board. And number two for me uh, is obviously their main rival here, Spencer Radler. I think it's really a tie between these two right now because neither of them played anyone, uh, you know, very, very difficult. Oklahoma opening up with the big pay-per-view match that was Missouri State in a 48 to nothing win. I hope none of you spent a dollar on any of that. But <laughs> uh, listen, when you look at Radler, you know, four touchdowns, no picks. He only had to throw it 17 times, 14 of them completions. Uh, this is what, you know, uh, we call a softball to open the season with. It's a glorified scrimmage. But for Radler, it's it's cool just to maybe see some of the hype now translate to the field. We're obviously going to have to see it against actual good football teams. But Radler is always going to be in this Heisman conversation because Lincoln Riley is the best play caller in, in all of college football. And he's going to be in a position to succeed. And everyone you talk to since he was a recruit believes he has the talent to do so. And my number one player, that is Trevor Lawrence. And it's not just because the numbers, three total touchdowns, but it is because... And maybe this is me being pessimistic. Anyone who listens to the show regularly knows I'm not a fan of the most of the Heisman voters. I don't like the process. I think it should be changed. I think we're going to see a lot of lazy voters this year where it's like, you know what? There's no Pac-12. There's no Big Ten. Let's just give it to Trevor Lawrence because you know his name. He's the most marketable, well-known player in college football. He's going to be on a, a likely undefeated team at most one loss. They're going to be in the college football playoff. They got a chance to win a national championship. 
I, I just feel like Trevor Lawrence is like you wouldn't ever look at his numbers, but in a shortened season where it might not be statistically driven, I think voters are just going to hand it to the the best quote unquote best player in college football. And I have I have Spencer Rattler number one. Part of that reason is I do think that we are going to see some lazy voters. Go look at who some of those voters are. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Sam Bradford, all have Heisman Jason Trophy votes. <laughs> and you know where they're going. And for a right reason, too. I think with Spencer Rattler, the reason I have him at number one, we saw him torch an absolutely terrible defense. These, these guys won one game last year at the FCS level. They, they have no business playing Oklahoma, especially for pay-per-view. But I think we're going to see similar similar production out of a Spencer Radler when he is playing a full game. It might not be 14 of 17, but 290, four touchdowns, that's going to be a regular occurrence. And 290 might be on the low side. I do think that with Lincoln Riley being there, as long as he's the coach at OU, I think you have to put their quarterback on Heisman ballots. And I do think that we'll see lazy voters. And I do think that Spencer Radler maybe doesn't have the name recognition of an Ellinger or a Lawrence yet, but he's the quarterback at OU, and they're going to get a lot of attention, rightfully so. And I think that at the end of the year, this guy's probably going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. For me, it feels like it's Trevor Lawrence's to lose, and I kind of side with the the thought, Matt, that you know it's pretty lazy voting, and look at the schedule for him. He's the face of college football. There's no denying that. You know, we were robbed, obviously, of a Justin Fields season that in my opinion, could have made this much more interesting. I think getting inside the mind of voters, a lot of them will look at it if this thing is close and go, hey, Spencer Radler has a lot of college football ahead of him. Trevor Lawrence does not. It's already out in the public that he's graduating in December. It's pretty obvious this guy will be going to the NFL. College football is going to want him to be on the Heisman Trophy podium. And I'm not saying he didn't earn that because he did and he will. I mean, Look at the next couple of games, right? Like, look at the entire season as a whole. They're going to light up a lot of these teams, and that's because he's really fucking good at football, and he, that's probably why he's going to be the number one pick. So I would be surprised if I had to take Trevor Lawrence out of this number one spot the entire year. Yeah, it's going to be – hey, at least we have something to talk about, right? We have football to watch. We have football to talk about. And that is – that's going to do it for today, guys. A uh, little bit different format today as we're trying some new things, but – uh, we're excited to be here talking about real NFL and college football. Don't forget, we'll be back Friday morning as we break down the upcoming weekend and everything that's happening in the world of football. For Melo and Connor Smat, we'll talk to you guys real soon.